Hi, everyone, and welcome back again to House Wine, because every wine that you're drinking in your house is technically your house wine while you're drinking it. I am Rachel. I am the host of this podcast. I also write the podcast and I broadcast, uh, broadcast, I record every week from a little pillow fort in Toronto. I'm a certified sommelier and I love sharing wine stuff. Full disclosure, my cat is made her way into the little recording pillow fort today. So she's pretty cozy, but if you hear some noise, that's what it is. Anyways, I digress <laughs> again, as always, but uh, welcome back. Now that we have officially done an episode on Italian wine law, I think it's time that we dive into some of the wine regions of Italy. No real news to report this week. I feel like it's been a, it's been a minute since I've had any cool wine news to talk about, but it's been pretty sleepy. I think the end of COVID has everybody sort of, you know, planning vacations rather than planning moves from DOC to DOCG. But we'll see. Maybe there'll be some uh, exciting wine news on the horizon. Who knows? Now, I know after doing Italian wine law, some of you are like, oh, what's she going to do? But I, you know, could have started with an icon. I could have started with Barolo or Chianti. But I want to start with a region that is very close to my heart and a region that I love and a region that always seems to keep me surprised and excited, and that is La Marque. La Marque, though geographically, is just on the other side of Tuscany in central Italy. It's a wine region that is, well, just on the other side of Tuscany, but uh, sort of separated by Tuscany by Umbria, which is a wine region in its own right, one of the only geographically landlocked wine regions in all of Italy. The main feature that separates La Marche from Tuscany is the Apennine Mountains, that mountain range that runs uh, like a spine dividing regions in Italy from east to west, all the way down the center of Italy. And of course, uh, La Marche is flanked on its other side by the Adriatic Sea, which is really kind of symbolic of the region. I feel like a lot of people see La Marche more as like a seaside tourist destination for, you know, European getaways than they do as sort of a quality wine region at times. Though there is a lot of quality wine there and we're going to talk about it. Quality wine, like I said, it doesn't always come to mind uh, when you're thinking of La Marche. Sure, I'm sure you've seen them, but uh, they're kind of going out of fashion now. They used to be a little bit more popular, but these sort of gimmicky fish-shaped bottles used to be the the signature look for the region. And it's known for making, you know, some of La Marche's best white wines. And these bottles are synonymous with uh, Verdicchio Castelli de Yesi. It was a producer called Fazi Battiglia, which started out as a co-op producer who popularized these bottles in the region. And Though they claim that they were made in the shape of Sophia Loren, it really does does look like a fish. And uh, this is what most people associate with Verdicchio now. Though their website, uh, the website of Fazi Battaglia, is adamant that it is not a fish. It is indeed Sophia Loren. Uh, suffice to say, neither look really resonates in the 21st century. Uh, when I spoke last week about wine regions that didn't really get much exposure because it was hard or difficult to get over mountains, and they really just didn't have the infrastructure to make it happen, well, I can say that one of those regions I was referring to was La Marque. Though, like Tuscany, just on the other side of the Apennines, the land from the ocean leading up to the mountains is this really beautiful rolling hills and golden farmland. 
But the issue with Lamarque is that there's only really one major city here. It's the port city of Ancona. And when you compare it to regions on the west side of Italy, cities that they have like Florence and Milan, Ancona, the capital of Lamarque, uh, really reads like sort of a sleepy seaside town rather than a hub of trade and commercial activity. I've actually been to Ancona, and I remember there that all the businesses close in the mid-afternoon for siesta. So uh, when you're traveling there, there's really nothing to do uh, but go to the beach between the hours of 2 and 4 p.m., which is very different to a place like, say, Florence, which, you know, borders on Chianti and feels very much like a true metropolitan city where you can, you know, buy gelato at 1 a.m. if you should need to. Uh, but the history of La Marche was, by extension, very isolated. And so it became one of those Italian wine regions that developed quite a few regional grapes that you don't really find many other places in the world unless, say, someone from, you know, California went on a very special mission to get them and grow them. Because outside of Ancona, the Marche was isolated for a long time. And for most of its history, the wines of La Marche have been consumed and enjoyed by the people of La Marche until the wines were slated for real mass exportation in the 70s and 80s, as is the case with so many wine regions. You know, we've talked about this with Sancerre, where it's like nobody drank Sancerre until the 70s and 80s, and then it was the French bistro wine. Well, Verdicchio and Verdicchio Castelli di Giesi uh, really went through the same process. In the 70s and 80s, they became more associated with bulk table wine, the kind of wine you would find in like an Italian-American bistro with checkered tablecloths, rather than being looked at as a place where you would make quality wine. Hence that uh, gimmicky fish-shaped bottle. <laughs> it's so silly. I just like, I felt I had to inc incorporate it into the podcast. I was like, oh, do I need to talk about the fish-shaped bottle? And then I was like, I do. I, I do have to mention the fish-shaped bottle, but it's a thing. And I'm sure they're, they're still out there. You'll still see them. But one of the true tragedies of Verdicchio is that bottle. I think it's also worth noting that uh, there were several battles and bombings of Ancona during the Second and First World War, which is another thing that contributed to making this a smaller city, much like we see in Reims or Reims uh, in Champagne. It's a very small city because there just wasn't a lot of development. There was more rebuilding. So Ancona sort of suffers from the same, not suffers, but has the same feel. You can tell that it was a city that was rebuilt rather than a city that was built out during sort of this, you know, prosperous time in the 50s and 60s when so many modern cities are sort of being built out. So let's get into it. Let's get into the wine. This is going to be like a kind of a fast and furious episode because I feel like I could talk a lot about the history of Lamarque, but it's not like they were farmers, they grew wine, they drank it, and then the Second World War happened. Like, there's there's history there. There's history everywhere. But the history isn't like, it's not a juicy history. So there are five DOCGs and 15 DOCs that make up the wine region of Lamarque. So all in all, still in the landscape of Italian winemaking, when you compare it to like, to a winemaking giant like Piedmonte in the north, this is pretty small. The grape that a lot of winemakers in quality winemaking DOCs and DOCGs are hanging their hat on in La Marque is Verdicchio. This is the native grape that is indigenous to the region. Verdicchio now is very different than it once was and really came out as a winner during the mass modernization of Italian wine, 
When producers started using stainless steel vats and French techniques to make their wines more quote-unquote modern, as we would say, in the before times, Verdicchio had been kind of this farmhouse white wine that didn't have, you know, temperature-controlled fermentations and that may have even had some light skin contact. These days, with the natural wine movement, what is old is new again. And we see some of these styles making a resurgence in the wines that are made of Verdicchio. But the nice thing is that you can do both. You can have this sort of crisp, clean white wine defined by salty minerality, tart pears, apples, and quince with this sort of afternote of toasted almonds, which is characteristic to the native white grapes of central Italy. Or you can have this sort of funky bruised apple oxidative kind of wine that tastes almost like almond cake or a little bit like amaretto. And at the end of the day, what I'm trying to say, I think, is that Verdicchio in all its myriad of forms, is a very versatile wine. And no matter which way that you prefer to drink it, the rule of thumb for food pairing is that I think always what grows together goes together applies very naturally to the wines and the food of Lamarque. If you're in Lamarque, you really have to think like crudo, grilled branzino, seafood pastas, pasta vongole, that's like clam pasta and a cream sauce, The food is really good there. So (laughs) the first mentions of Verdicchio are in the 15th century, and they are from writings of a doctor who was touting its health benefits. So though I said Verdicchio was the native grape of Lamarque, it's now thought that it probably originated in Veneto, which is just north, where it has since mutated into sort of some rendition of Trebbiano. Verdicchio is genetically identical to a version of Trebbiano that's grown in the north called Trebbiano Valtanesi. And they have also found grapes that share genetic markers to it as far north as Trentino, which borders Austria. So it's assumed that it came from the north and then traveled south. That said, the DOC which grows the most Verdicchio is the famed Castelli di Jesi. And Jesi is spelt J-E-S-I. And I called it Jesse, Castelli di Jesse for a long time. And then, again, not to be like, oh, I'm so well-traveled, but when I was there, (laughs) I was on the train, and when they went into the town of Jesse, on the speaker, they announced it Yesi, and then this sort of light bulb went off in my head. I was like, oh, I've been pronouncing this wrong the entire time. So now I try and do it right. I try and call it Yesi. So Yessi is on the rolling, or Castelli di Yessi is on, you know, the rolling foothills around the town of Yessi, just west of Ancona on the coast. Now, this is where Italian wine law comes in and makes everything oh so confusing. There is also a DOCG for Verdicchio called Castelli di Yessi Reserva, which is grown from what is known as the Classico Zone. Basically, it's the interior of Castelli di Yessi DOC where the wines have more of a focus on quality and more of that sort of calcareous soil that Verdicchio likes to grow on. Now, though you would think that Verdicchio Castelli di Jesi Reserva, DOCG, is for Reserva wines only, and Verdicchio Castelli di Jesi DOC is for the quality level of wines that you would know as Normale, which have not been aged as long, this would be too simple, no. <laughs> In the DOCG, they have both quality levels. They have Reserva and they have something called Reserva Classico. The difference is that the more basic DOC, the Verdicchio Castelli di Jesi, drop the Reserva DOC, the rules are the 
or that they can make more styles of wine than just the dry white wines that are most mostly associated with the style. They can also make spumante wines here, which are slightly sparkling, and they can also make pasito wines here. Pay, <laughs> pay. I'm like going to speak French. P a s s i t o wines, which are. Uh, a little bit more concentrated and maybe even a little sweet. And this is also where you might find some producers experimenting with some more natural winemaking styles. This is very uh, classic of Italian wine regions. It's never just as it is. There's always like a but. It's like you can make wines there, but there's a classico zone, or you can make wines there, but there's a reserva. There's always a there's always like a a something a but. So Castelli di Esi and Castelli di Esi Reserva, similar, but not the same. The same set of rules is true for the other main region that is making Verdicchio, and that is Verdicchio di Metallica, DOC, which is even further inland from the sea than Yesi. Here, the terrain is more mountainous as it reaches inland towards the Apennine Mountains. They, too, have a coveted DOCG that shares almost the same name, <laughs> that is, and that is Verdicchio di Metallica Reserva. Again, it's almost exactly the same, which is not to be shady, but it was part of the mass upgrade of Italian regions into DOCG in 2009, or that sort of period between 2009-2011. This is not to say that the wines of Metallica are bad. They are actually very, very good, but Again, the DOCG was just kind of like, it feels a little bit thrown in there. It was like, oh, we're making great Verdicchio and we need a DOCG. So all to say, some of the great winemakers of Verdicchio at both the DOC and DOCG level are Villa Bucci, Villa Bucci, B-U-C-C-I, who age their wines for a minimum of 25 months before release at the DOCG level and are known for making really age-worthy wines in a market where the wines are kind of more associated with being consumed young and fresh, as they are in Castelli di Esi. In Metallica, La Monesca makes wines that are harvested late for richer and fuller styles, wines that are also known for their ability to age and are grown on these really high-elevation hillsides on clay soils. So these wines don't mess around. They're complex. I think those are probably two of the best producers of Verdicchio. Another one of the DOCGs here <laughs> is the region of Ofida. And that came in, again, just under the wire of that great DOCG upgrade that happened in 2011. Now, again, not to be shady, but this was the thing. And there are good wines in Ofida, but it does feel like they are sort of still trying to prove themselves rather than having been granted this designation for something they had already proved. I'm not discouraging you to drink the wines of Afida. I'm going to get into why they're good and why they're worth exploring. As they do not use Verdicchio as their white grape of choice. Rather, they're farther south down the coast, and they grow a grape that is more unique to that part of La Marque. And it's also the wine of their neighbor to the south, or their winemaking neighbor to the south, Abruzzo. And that is the grape Pecorino. I almost like to describe Pecorino as like a heavier beefier version of Verdicchio. The fruit profile tends to be riper, which makes sense. It's more south, so it's in a warmer climate. You get more nuttiness, that more of that like 
bitter almond character, but in a good way. Kind of like Verdicchio. And the heaviest and most expressive pecorinos to me really have this like almost undercurrent of marzipan. They, they're very, they're like fruity and rich. They're, they're really, really lovely wines. In Afida, they often blend this with a native grape called Passerina. And this is the first time that we're going to be talking about the red wines of La Marque, as in the DOCG of Afida, they also make red wine. The grape of choice is Montepulciano. Like I mentioned, Pecorino is favorited in Abruzzo. Well, so is Montepulciano, and the wines of Afida aren't dissimilar from the wines that you would find being made all over Abruzzo. Just really a short drive to the south of this region. So Montepulciano, Montepulciano is is uh, is a hard, it's a bit of a hard grape to nail down. So it's often found growing with Sangiovese in central Italy. And it's true that in La Marche, you can find these two grapes blended together quite often. Montepulciano is a workhorse. This grape ripens really well. It's very, very mold resistant. It's sort of more full-bodied in its expression than Sangiovese, to which it is often compared. Sangiovese being the most planted red grape in all of Italy, and Montepulciano coming in a close second. Montepulciano is the second most grown grape, or most grown red grape in Italy. The fruit profile on Montepulciano tends to be more in the realm of black fruits, a little bit of blackberry, a little bit of plum, but it still has the rusticity, a word that I like to use when I'm talking about Italian wines, that you would expect from an Italian red. It's very savory and it's very earthy. All in all, being the second most planted red grape in Italy, it's not entirely as well known as you would think it would be. And you can get some really, really good value Montepulciano wines from all over Italy, but you can definitely get them in Alfida, which is what we are technically talking about. <laughs> We're still talking about Alfida. There's a producer from Ofida that we see pretty often in Toronto or in my market, um, and I think it's pretty ubiquitous, and that is Chu Chu, C-I-U, C-I-U. I think these wines are great. I think they are a good example of how some of these regions that were upgraded to DOCG are still good value or can be good value. And it's sort of proof that, you know, these wines aren't trying to be more than they were. They're still rustic. They're still sort of these country-style wines. And just because they're a DOCG now, they're not, you know, all of a sudden trying to become Barolo. The Choo Choo wines, Choo Choo, I also just like saying that name of that producer, they still come in around $20 uh, for their entry level. And these are really great examples of what the more affordable styles of white and red from this region can do because they are very tasty. Okay, <laughs> there are two other DOCGs that we have not talked about yet, but that are important to be sure. And they both link up quite nicely because they are both red wine DOCGs. The first is Conero Reserva, which, like its neighbors, has a DOC linked with it that's just called Conero. Drop the Reserva. Here, like in Ofida, the wines are 85% Montepulciano and the rest is Sangiovese. These wines are grown just south of Ancona and very close to the ocean. So for a red wine made from a grape that can at times be a little bit heavy and a little bit tannic, the wines of Conero have a real freshness about them and a sort of like saltiness from the ocean air. Conero is named after the hills that rise up from the ocean called the Conero Massif. 
and they culminate in the highest peak, which is called Monte Conero. These wines are good, but I think sometimes the red wines of this region just get a little bit overshadowed by the excitement of the white wines in this region. Also by the fact that the red wines of Abruzzo have really been on this sort of upswing in terms of quality and winemaking in the last 10 years or so. But I think the red wines of the Marque are definitely worth exploring. The last DOCG here, or DOCG number five, is a weird one. You are more likely to drink a bottle of Castelli di Asi or Conero than you are of this wine. It has been a DOCG since 2003, so it wasn't even really part of that mass upgrade of wine regions. But it it just really is a bit of a strange one, and that is Vernacchia di Serra Patrona, DOCG. A sparkling, at times semi-sweet, red wine made from dried grapes that must be a minimum of 13% alcohol. I suppose that all wine, and Italian wine in particular, is rooted in some form of tradition. I think that... This is one of those wines that was upgraded to DOCG status because it's very traditional. I mean, there isn't even a DOCG for Lambrusco, which if you had to ask me in my official opinion, I would much more, I would say is a much more popular and much more international style of wine than Vernicchio di Ser Patrona, which very few of us have ever had the pleasure of trying and is also just not a bad wine just a weird wine. So here in Vernicchia di Serra Patrona, I also like saying that DOCG for some reason, it just like kind of rolls off the tongue. But here they use the grape Vernacchia Nera, which is genetically identical to Grenache, a grape that we have talked about before and really gets around the whole Mediterranean area. Evidence that even though La Marque was pretty isolated for a long time, it wasn't that isolated. It wasn't isolated enough to escape growing Grenache. Special shout out to all the DOCs that we did not talk about this episode. And there are a few. I think it's not super necessary to talk about all of the DOCs. There's some weird ones, but down the list we go. We did not talk about Biancello del Meturo. Meturo? Oh gosh, it's, it's my Italian is so cringy. We did not talk about Coli Maseratisi. We did not talk about Coli Pesarisi, Pesarisi, which makes a whole ton of different kinds of wines. We did not talk about Esino, which makes basically Frizzante wines. We did not talk about Filario, which just makes a little bit of Pecorino. You see some Filario come on the market. I've seen it before. It's a nice little wine. It's a pecorino. We didn't talk about Iterini de San Serviano. Iterini de San Serviano, which makes red wine. We did not talk about the Lacrima Moro d'Alba. I probably should have talked about the Lacrima Moro d'Alba. I really like Lacrima Moro d'Alba. Lacrima, anytime you see the word Lacrima, it indicates... Uh, it means tears. So the tears of Moro d'Alba. And for some reason in Italian wine, anytime you see that word lacrima, it usually means it's grown on volcanic soil. And volcanic soil wines are just cool. They're just really good. So lacrima Moro d'Alba, we didn't really talk about it that much, but look into it. It's a red wine. We did not talk about pergola. We did not talk about rosso piceno. We did not talk about San Gionesio, and we did not talk 
about just Sarah Patrona, which is the red version of Vernacchia de Sarah Patrona. It's the red dry version, the red dry non-sparkling version. So those are the ones we didn't talk about. There's a lot going on. Anytime you're in Italy, there's too much. There's just too much. It's overwhelming. You can't talk about all these DOCs. But at the same time, I can't, you know, devote an entire podcast to just Asino DOC. There's just not enough to say. I'm sorry, Asino DOC. I'm sure your Biancos and your Frizzante Rosos are delicious. Anyways, all to say, go out, experiment, try a Verdicchio Castelli Diesi this week. If you enjoyed this podcast, if you learned something, if you want to message me and tell me that I'm not doing justice to my um, Italian pronunciation, please do. You can get a hold of this podcast at housewinepodcast at gmail.com. But please don't leave me a bad rating because my Italian is bad. Scroll down, tap five stars, leave a rating, leave a review. This podcast is 100% independent. It's written, narrated, and produced by me. And you can get a hold of me, should you so need to, to tell me my Italian is bad at housewinepodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out to me on my personal Instagram. That's at Rachel Picard, Rachel with an A-E-L and Picard like the captain. And until I see you again next week when I butcher some more Italian, you know, go out, try a Verdicchio, see if you can get your hands on a bottle of Choo Choo and, uh... If you get a bottle of Lacrima Mora d'Alba, just, yeah, sit back and enjoy it. That wine is so good. All right. Have a great week, guys. Bye. Bye.